Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very strange episode of The Film Room. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you you suggested this one to me first as just the Jetsons movie, and then, uh, and then a contrast episode. Yeah. What happened was, my initial reason for wanting to do this was, bizarrely enough, I was looking over our episodes, and you know that we've never done an episode on animated movies based on cartoons. Yeah. We've, we've somehow managed... I mean, we've done a few like that, and certainly the DC animated episodes can count as a reference. Yeah. But we've never really covered this one bizarre niche of a genre. And also, it seemed like it would be fun to step in and do a nostalgia episode. Yeah. These are two movies that I have very strong nostalgia about, and I wanted to watch them as an adult and see how did they hold up. And then I found out that you had not seen one of them. No. Yeah, the other one was uh, the DuckTales movie. And that's when this became a must-do episode. Um, Again, this is a strange episode because these are two movies that are so not notable films in cinema history. Mm -hmm. We just did a Steven Soderbergh retrospective last time, (laughs) and now we're jumping to this. Why? Because we can. Because we can. So, you know, I, I feel like some necessary background for me on a personal level here about why do that why these specific movies um these two movies they're very much linked movies actually they both came out within about a month of each other both were box office underperformers uh jetsons was actually the higher performer at 22 million uh ducktales only did 18 and they're both movies that feel that were based on very popular cartoons when i was a kid jetsons and ducktales were both syndicated were very popular syndicated shows and they were shows that i watched almost daily growing up yeah ducktales was part of the the famous uh, disney afternoon which which it's funny that we're doing this on the day that the uh, ps4 release of the disney afternoon collection came out oh yeah that's right so yeah so so you know the disney afternoon block legendary and so as i said these were two movies that really really mattered to me now obviously you didn't see ducktales until well just before this cast Right, the the movie anyway. I the I movie. grew up with the show. Like I, uh, I even recently got uh, I saw volume one of the DVD collection. Hello, Lola. Yeah, and yeah, Lola will very much be on this cast, and that's fitting because this is a kids' cast. But yeah, and uh, watched a couple episodes, and wow, it's it's still great. Yeah, I'm gonna hold off on my thoughts on Ducktales until we get to that actually discussing it on the cast, but. Yeah, I really love both shows. I really have a lot of affection for them, and I saw you know you didn't see the uh, you didn't see the Jetsons movie in theaters, did you? No, I I think I saw it. I may have seen it like on a blockbuster rental, like a yeah. long time ago. But it's been, in fact, when I revisited it a few months ago, I completely forgot that I had seen it at all. Yeah. Until I recognize some parts. I actually saw it in theaters. Uh, I actually saw both of these movies twice in theaters. Once at the first run, once at the Dollar Theater. And, um, you know, I really loved them. Uh, but before we get to that, just a brief history of animated movies based on cartoons. It's hard to say where you would ca- draw the line at what the origin was. I mean, because they'd been doing these movies for years. You had stuff like A Man Called Flintstone, 
Hey There, Yogi Bear in the 60s. Aww. The Peanuts movies. The Peanuts movies, which, by the way, probably the top tier of these movies that we're discussing. Mm-hmm. Because Charles Schultz actually was actively involved in them. They were passion projects for him. And they're good movies. They're really pretty good movies. Um, I, I, I have a lot of affection. Of course, we've done our mini-sode on the recent Peanuts movie, which was just incredible. Yes. So, you know, so you had that. But let's, if, if you really ask me the movie that kicked off the little mini trend that we're looking at here, I would mm-hmm. point to 1983's The Smurfs and the Magic Flute, which was <laughs> the, which, which I point to as the origin point for this mini trend that Hollywood went through. Lola is currently eating her feet, for those who are curious what that sound is in the background. Yes, I hear that. <laughs> yeah, Lola is eating her feet um, because she is a baby. Um, so, you know, so you had that, that mini trend of these movies that, uh, started with the Smurfs and the Magic Flute, which was acquired by Atlantic releasing. It was a 1970s movie, uh, Belgian, the Smurfs and the Magic Flute got released while the cartoon that everybody grew up remembering was made by Hanna-Barbera. This was not made by the same people. In fact, it didn't even have the same voices. They actually had a non-union crew dub it. Really? Uh, Yeah. So, and here's the kicker about this movie. It's called The Smurfs and the Magic Flute. The Smurfs are not in it until the 35-minute mark. Oh, no. Yeah, the Smurfs are not actually, they're supporting characters in it. They're not actually in the movie until the 35-minute mark. The movie runs 74 minutes. Mm-hmm. If I were a kid watching it in that age, I might have been feeling a little pissed. Yeah. I might have been feeling just a tiny bit pissed. That's that's the halfway mark. But anyway, so so yeah, so that was the one that kicked that off, and that started actually Clubhouse releasing, which uh Clubhouse Pictures, which released such movies as Heathcliff the Movie, which boy, if you've seen that one, that one will make you mad. That one was literally I don't know if it was the episodes that if it was cut into episodes or and I think this is more likely the episodes were repackaged for the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's just episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, here come the littles, which I saw uh, at one of those Saturday, you know, one of those summer matinee things that they did. Yeah. You had GoBots, Transformers, the movie, G.I. Joe, the movie, which went direct to video. Transformers the movie actually has a uh, cult following. It does. It does. Especially for the song. The touch. Yeah, yeah. You got the touch. Exactly. Which can also be found on the Boogie Nights soundtrack, sung badly. <laughs> it's it's an awesome, awesome scene in that movie. <laughs> it's actually uh, the Mark Wahlberg cover of it, where he's intentionally singing badly. The, yeah. enti- the entire thing is an Easter egg on one of the uh, Boogie Nights soundtracks. I'm aware. It's, I'm aware. It's brilliant. I've got both. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. But yeah, uh, it's also infamously known as the last movie that Orson Welles ever did. Yeah. Um, I, I at least respect Transformers, the movie. I at least respect Transformers, the movie. You've got, uh, you also had the Care Bears movies. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about the Care Bears movies because we're going to do them at some point. I'm just saying it right now. Oh, are we? We are going to do a Care Bears. We're going to at least cover Care Bears 2. Oh, boy. Can we vow to do that one? 
you know, the one where they cure Satan? Yes, yes. Uh, the Care Bears movie, by the way, was a huge success. Uh, and actually, because I, I was doing some research into these, probably one of the widest released of all of these movies. Like, a lot of these movies got very scattershot releases. Um, you also had one of the big ones that they did. Um, let's see. They did a Pound Puppies movie. I mean, you get the point. They did movies based on all kinds of cartoons. But anyway, as I was saying, I fa I put a couple of these up, and I embedded fake ones, and no one really seemed to catch on that I put some fake ones in there. That's really what these movies were. Um, and it's a trend that would basically, after this moment that we're describing, it would pretty much die out. Yeah. When was... Do you know when the Felix the Cat movie was made? The Felix the Cat movie was pretty much contemporaneous with these movies. Huh, yeah. About the same time. But that one, going direct to video, you know, to be clear, after this moment, you would have stuff like Babar the movie was about the same time. And then you would start to have stuff like, let's see, Felix the Cat would go direct to video in America with maybe a few token releases. <clears throat> that's a terrible, that's a terrible film. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's not a very good one. Um, let's see. Uh, Tom and Jerry the movie would go to theaters and wouldn't be a, at all well received. For good reason. That movie's just abysmal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's I, a bad movie. That's I remember a bad... when that came out, I saw it. <laughs> and then there's the movie that it kind of breaks my heart to say probably was the nail in the coffin for these movies. They fucking talk. <laughs> they, they did. They did. Uh, then there's yeah. the movie that was probably the nail in the coffin for the direct, for these. I mean, after this, you would have scattered ones like a goofy movie, which is the, which is fantastic. Really, really damn good movie. But the movie that is probably responsible for doing this, it's two of these movies. One was Tiny Toon Adventures, mm. How I Spent My Summer Vacation which went direct-to-video on purpose because Steven Spielberg suggested it. Also pretty excellent. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. If that one had gone to theaters, that one would have been a fine theatrical movie. I would have been happy with that one. One of my, one of my favorite jokes in that is, uh, well, first of all, the THX joke. amazing uh, one of the characters goes out on a date with this tough guy and he has in his mouth what looks like a cigarette until he takes it out and it's a lollipop mm -hmm. excellent yeah <laughs> yeah and then there's the one that i honestly think because it financially bombed they that was kind of the one that helped put the nail in the coffin for this trend mm -hmm. <sighs> batman the animated movie mask of the phantasm Aww. probably the one that sent this that pretty much put the nail in the coffin with after this one it was just that because that one bombed pretty badly i mean that was an epic bomb of a movie i want to make that clear yeah yeah you know you played for like two weeks right it did it did it did not do well in theaters it 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 just it sank i have to i have to rub in the fact that i live near an aloe draft house and 
I so I I got to see a film print of that, and I'm sure it looks <laughs> gorgeous. It does. That's the sad part. The movie that you can really pinpoint as the moment that this stopped being a thing mm-hmm. is probably the best of all of these movies. Yeah, they even yeah, and they had uh, didn't they have Sub Zero ready to go? I think Sub Zero was always planned to go direct to video, but having seen it, Sub Zero could have been theatrical. Sub Zero is gorgeous. Sub Zero, like I actually watched it with the intention of giving it a kids' rating, and instead gave it a four out of five on an adult scale because it nice. is theatrical grade. It's not perfect; it has some problems, but it is theatrical grade. So with that all, all that out of the way. Honestly, that's probably the meat of the cast in terms of what actual information you're going to get because mm-hmm. because now we're going to be talking about two very fluffy movies. As I said, these two movies, in combination with the third movie, there is a third movie that we have to point out also changed the game to some degree, and that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. We're going to probably be getting to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the future. Um, I, I yeah. Wanna, I, I want to cover that first one at least. Yeah, we yeah we had had one in the works at one point, but at the time we didn't feel it. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, it's it's probably inevitable that uh, we'll try again. We'll try again. We'll try again. Um, I, I do want to say that I do th- that that movie being a live action adaptation probably changed things because it said, okay, we don't have to just do a cheap cartoon. We can do something more. Did you see, uh, did you know movies put up a video on, on the Turtles movie? No. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Like they, uh, like they talk about how it almost didn't get made and that Jim Henson was kind of reluctant to work on the, on the animatronics for it because they were afraid it would be too violent. And then they, they talked him into it. And I know Henson, it was one of the things he was really proud of at the end of his life. He was very, very proud proud of it um he should be those things hold up yeah let's just be clear the nine i don't i've rewatched that one so many times that i don't even know if i can go to it with adult eyes because i'm constantly revisiting it that movie as an adaptation of the original comics is fantastic as an adaptation of the tv show it's fantastic i'm overusing this word a little too much it's, but here's the thing. It's a really great adaptation, and it's one of the most clever adaptations I've ever seen because it satisfies both masters. It nods to the animated series, and it nods to the original comics in equal measure. It's a very smart adaptation. It's very well made. It's very well acted. That's a damn good movie. That is, a, And the action is great in it. I mean, the action is just fantastic. Um Again, gotta 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 chill it there. So with all that out of the way, let's talk about Jetsons the movie. We should also note before we get to Jetsons the movie. Actually, as we're getting to it, let's let's let, let me start by pointing one important thing out about this movie. It was originally supposed to be released in November of 1989. However, it was pushed back because because it was clear that two animated movies were coming out at that same time, and they didn't want the competition. One of them was Don Bluth's wonderful All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah. A, a really good, sweet movie. The other one is the probably the single most seismic animated movie in the history of animated movies. Even Toy Story may not be as seismic as The Little Mermaid was. Oh, yeah. That's right. The Little Mermaid, I don't think we can understand from a perspective 
of today, how much The Little Mermaid changed animation forever. The Little Mermaid changed everything. It completely reshaped the game for animation because suddenly you couldn't just do a kid's movie, spit it out, and just assume they were going to go see it and that would be enough. Suddenly you had to run the potential that adults might be showing up in your theater without kids. Yeah. And and not even just like maybe casual animation, not even like serious animation fans. Adults went to see The Little Mermaid seriously. They 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 went to see it because I mean, it was an event movie. It was a huge monster hit and it reshaped what animation was. The entire idea of adults watching animated movies really starts with The Little Mermaid. Again, I'm going to point people to Waking Sleeping Beauty. I cannot mm-hmm. recommend that documentary enough. One of the finest – it is one of the finest pieces ever made within a studio about its own history because it's not propaganda. They talk pretty honestly about what went wrong. Hmm. But I really think if you look at what The Little Mermaid did, it changed the game. How much did it change the game? When these two movies that we're discussing came out, they came out at a point where the landscape was already so completely changed that they couldn't work as they did. I mean, The Little Mermaid, The Little Mermaid, if you want a comparison for what The Little Mermaid was, Nirvana coming out and changing rock is about what The Little Mermaid was. Hmm. That is the level of how much it reshaped things. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, The Little Mermaid... Don Bluth honestly was left in the dust by it, to be perfectly blunt. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think I think everything Bluth was trying to do, he got left in the dust by. Irony, because isn't he an ex-Disney? He's ex-Disney. He left Disney because he was trying to push them to do better. And then they went and did everything he was trying to do. So it's sad. But oh. so there's my so so we've gotten all that out of the way. The landscape that these movies came out in. I'm telling you, the the Jetsons the movie was supposed to come out into a very different world, and everything changed. Um, so, with that in mind, here's some quick history on this movie's production. This may be the first movie we've ever covered where someone died making it. Oh, I, oh uh, yes. Oh yeah, you're talking about uh, George. Yeah, George O'Hanlon was blind, had had a stroke. He was barely functioning. Very sad story. Mm-hmm. The only way he could read his lines would be if someone would repeat them back, would give them to him, and he would repeat them back to him. Yeah. He most You have to understand, almost all the Jetsons voice cast, they were in their 60s. They were over 65 at that time. These were, these were old people. Um, yeah. O'Hanlon was barely functioning. As soon as he finished recording his dialogue, this is completely true. He had a stroke and moments later died. Yeah. Just minutes. Minutes. I'm telling you, in effect, he died make in, in effect he died as soon as he finished making this. Yeah. He, for all intents and purposes, died in the studio. Yeah. You know what? That's beautiful. I'm just gonna say it. that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Because you die doing what you love. You die putting your signature on the thing that you did best. Yeah. That's what I would want to have happen to me. That's how I would want to go out. So that was O'Hanlon's finale, was he died making this movie. Mel Blanc died between... Died he doing also, what he loved. 
<laughs> yeah, Mel Blanc also died during the between this recording his lines and the movie's release. Uh, now there were some lines that had to be re-recorded. Um, Jeff Bergman, uh, a prominent voice actor who he's done way too many credits for me to even count, did the re-recording for them. This movie had probably one of the most troubled histories of any movie we're ever going to cover on this cast. I will say that. Hmm. Um, Hannah and Barbera are credited as directors. It's widely felt they didn't have much power on this movie. It, it doesn't seem like they did. No. Um, for all intents and purposes, it seems like the real director that was driving this movie was Iwao Tak- Takamoto, a rather prolific animation director. I've seen his name on some stuff. Um, he didn't seem to have any idea what he was doing from what I've read. The animation department, apparently they had no coherence. I've read that no one was communicating. No one was getting along. God. It was a disaster as a production. I really don't hesitate that much to say that it shows. It does show. It does show. It's very, like, the tone is very inconsistent. Yeah. Let, let, let's, let's talk about the script. The script was by Dennis Marks, a longtime animation writer. I looked up his credits. Almost everything he did was TV. It was sitcom animation stuff. It was Stuff like Jabberjaw and, mm-hmm. of course, the Jetsons. He wrote for the Jetsons. He wrote for a bunch of – he was a Hanna-Barbera inside man. He also would write the Tom and Jerry movie. Ah. Uh, well. <laughs> well, he – yeah. I'm Tom. I'm Jerry. You talked! Yeah. I – there's not much more that can be said about that. I mean, the, the this, this was a man – who his thought process was firmly in the early 60s. Um, so that was what you had on the script. Voice acting, as I said, you had the sadness that happened. You also had some absolute debacles happening. Let's let's talk about the elephant in the room that you have to discuss when discussing this movie. Uh, Janet Waldo, who voiced Judy Jetson, recorded all of her lines and was fired. Yeah. She only has one line that actually made it into the movie by accident. Mm. I forgot which one it was, but yes. So she was fired and replaced with Tiffany, the teen pop singer who, um, not an actress, not an actress. And this was so controversial that uh, Andrea Romano, the absolute, I don't know, in terms of directing voice actors, Probably the greatest we've ever had. The queen of voice direction. Took her name off the movie uh, to protest the firing and the replacement. Was Tiffany's work really so bad that it merited that response? No problem. Thanks. Yes. Yes, it was. And I don't blame her. Let me be clear. I do not blame her. She's not an actress. She's not an actress. It's a big common thing that people like to, that studios like to do where they try to say, if you're an actor, maybe you can sing, maybe record an album or a single. If you're a singer, maybe show up in a movie. And here's the thing outside of the Jetsons movie, I've never heard of her. She was much more, she was, the thing that you need to understand is her career was pretty much on its way out when this movie came out. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was not, this was not a good time capsule. I'm going to get into, but I got to hold my tongue because I have a lot of thoughts on timeliness. Believe me, that's not something that's changed. That's why you'll see people like, you know, Disney stars trying to record. And, you know, look, sometimes it works out. Ariana Grande 
cannot act to save her life, in my opinion. I've always been kind of floored when I've watched her and things. She's not an actress. But you know what? It turns out she's got incredible pipes. She, there's a reason that she's really succeeding as a singer. She's good. She's legitimately good. Uh, then you'll have instances where it's like, oh, yeah, this teen pop star on the radio has the same name as the uh, girl from True Grit. <laughs> that never fails to bug me, I'm just going to say. Yeah. Mostly because it reminds me that I haven't watched The Edge of Seventeen yet. And it's like, I haven't watched that, but I'm having to listen to this stupid song. <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, so let's be clear. That's, that's still going on. That's mm-hmm. still something that they're trying. As I said, this was a studio executive demanded mood. They demanded that she come in and record her dialogue. This was a really bad decision. This was a decision that at age six, I was like, this is bad. (laughs) And it's because she has no inflection. Everything is spoken in this voice that's all over the place tonally. And you know what? I don't blame her. Because again, not an actress. This is where a studio executive should have stepped in and said, No, we don't care about the poster. We don't care about putting her in the trailers. You know, if they really were so desperate to have her music, which apparently was the original plan, Mm -hmm. they could have just had her do singing voice. Exactly. That's a thing that people do. But they didn't. Uh, So let's let's address the plot of this movie. The plot of this movie is as cliched as they get. George Jetson gets a promotion, has to go to a new world with new characters... Everybody meets a new friend in this universe. Pseudo-environmental message. There's a pseudo-environmental message. Which is really funny because the thing of the Jetsons, like, living in sky cities. Yeah. Is that, uh, we fucked up the planet. (laughs) Yeah, they pretty explicitly say that in the first shot of the movie. There's that cough again. Polly want a gas mask? I bet it's the smog. Up we go. It's like, oh, okay. Boy, there's a lot of values that this movie has that have not aged well. Let me be blunt. No. So, so what? What it is is they is someone is sabotaging this. Uh, someone is sabotaging uh, Mr. Spacely's or his, uh, like, his orbiting or asteroid. Uh, they say that 50 times in the movie. Yeah, they And do. someone is sabotaging his business. It turns out it's a bunch of cute little uh, teddy bear creatures whose world is being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me, let, me, let me just interrupt the movie here to talk about why this environmental message is horrible. Mm-hmm. This is what's wrong with all environmental messages like this. They always focus on the cute animals. Mm-hmm. Of course, these cute little teddy bear creatures who, come on, even if someone like Mr. Spacely saw them, he'd realize, hey, these are these are cute little animals. Let's not harm them. They do this to make it so damned manipulative. Yes. The grungies, as they're called. Uh, oh, God. God. They're so annoying. They're so annoying. They are voiced by Frank Welker. Frank, sorry, this was not your day. This was not your day. Hey, when you have over a thousand credits on your IMDb, you're bound to, well, 
first of all, you can afford to make this kind of slip up. Yeah. <laughs> there are bound to be a few clunkers in there. Let me just point out how great Curious George is. Like, can I just stop real quick and derail this conversation to pause and note that the 2006 Curious George is really wonderful and that Welker voices George in that and it's he does a really good job and it's probably the most he's ever acted with the animal noises, mm-hmm. like truly acted and conveyed a character. Nice. That, there, there. You want, a, you want a 75 minute movie to sit your kid down in front of that's better than this? There's one. There's one I can recommend without hesitation. Beautiful animation, too. Have you ever seen it? I haven't seen it, no. Beautiful. Very watercolor cell animation. It's one of the last great 2D animated movies we got. Is it, isn't Tom Hanks in it? No, it's Will Ferrell is the voice of the man with the yellow hat. Oh, okay. I don't think that one gets enough credit as one of the last great 2D animated movies we got. Um, so as I said, the plot of this movie is silly. There's also the way that the story gets splintered so that every character has their foil. Elroy gets his robot nemesis originally turned friend, and they turn and he turns friends so quickly it's on the drop of a hat. Yeah. It's like one moment and then boom, they're friends. Why even bother? Why even bother? There's this whole idea that Elroy's the little athlete. Gah. I'm trying to hold my tongue, trying to hold my tongue, because I'm because <laughs> I got a big point I'm gonna build to about this movie. But, you know, so that's Elroy's plot. Judy's plot is that she is heartbroken because she didn't get to go on a date with a guy. And now in the real world, you're not you're denied a chance to go out on a date with someone because life circumstances get in the way. And real world, you're sad for a moment. This right. movie, there's a goddamn song. <laughs> yes. And it is a song as if she has been in love with him for three years and now they're breaking up. Yeah. She never went on a date with this guy and she sings a love ballad. And by the way, the new guy that she meets, uh, if I remember right, they look exactly the same. They look exactly the same. They're just different color schemes and slightly different hair. She meets her, this new guy, Apollo Blue. Gee, guess mm-hmm. what color he is? This movie is so subtle. And then they have a then they have maybe the greatest what the hell moment in animated movie history. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. When this movie stops and goes into music video mode for three minutes, keep in mind this is only an 82 minute movie, uh-huh. and this movie derails itself to go into the most 80s music video you can picture. <laughs> it turns. This turns into some Peter Gabriel shit without the artistry. Wow. You know, this is all the more ironic because we actually referenced a movie by the director of the Take On Me video. We did, didn't we? Yes, because Steve Barron uh, directed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. That's that's because Barron is an actual director and actually knows what he's doing. Yeah, that was one of the things that uh, Did You Know Movies thing mentioned. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah, and that... that, Wow, what a great idea. You hire someone who's good at special effects to do a mm-hmm. special effects movie. Gee. Yeah, no wonder that movie's actually good. Um, so this movie, again, Judy's plot. She meets this guy. They have one encounter. Then the next time they meet, they're madly in love. 
The first guy wasn't the first guy like a pop star or something. Yes. <sighs> so the entire reason that she said is because she didn't get to be a one night stand groupie, <laughs> which was what exactly what she would have been. Which is oh my god, this movie. <laughs> Are you all getting that this isn't a very good movie yet? Yeah. <laughs> George, uh, you know, so she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't get any, by the way, actually she wasn't bored when I turned it on because I watched it with her in the room. Yeah. And I'm sorry that y'all are going to have such a constant narration by Lola. She's just in a talking mood. Yeah. That's some of it. <laughs> oh, well, it'll, pr- it'll provide character. It'll provide character. So you've got this, this whole plot of, that's Judy's plot. And then, so she has almost no dialogue about anything other than boys until at the end when she sees the grunchies and she suddenly turns activist. Uh... And then when they have to leave the asteroid, she's back to being sad about a boy. Oh. Judy Jetson, shallow. Judy Jetson, not Bechtel approved. No, uh, Jane Jetson is barely in this movie. She... She shows up to them to basically uh, call out George about her, his family, about how he needs to spend more time with his family. Because that's George's whole plot, is that he needs to learn to put his family above his career. Guys, we basically used that plot for Sunday morning. We more or less <laughs> used the plot of this movie for Sunday morning. I want to be clear that that was absolutely what we were drawing from. You mean for Easter Sunday? Because that was exactly what this was. This is that kind of, you know... I need to learn to be a better father and spend time with my kid. Mm-hmm. That's just... Are we not... I get it. This was 1990, and we were trying to, to preach this message. Are we not over this message yet, though? We're not, are we? Because... No. I mean, I, again, this was 27 years ago. I need to be fair. But good God, it's cloying. At one point, George raps, by the way. Oh, I completely blocked that part out. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, at one point, George raps. That's all I'm going to say. Is George Jetson raps, and it's bad. There is a song in this movie, by the way, every five minutes. Yes. Yeah. Without fail, there is a song in this movie every five minutes. I think it's probably the most cringeworthy thing in the film is when their new uh, neighbors stop by, like the uh-huh. the furries, and... Uh, yes, the furbelows. Yes. Who... Credit due, that was kind of cool to see an early Brad Garrett appearance. That was Brad Garrett? Yeah, that was Brad Garrett as the dad. Jeez. Wow. You know, Garrett's a strange case. I I knew him as a voice actor before uh, before I started to see him in things as a face actor, actually. Because, of course, you know, he was very successful on Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, Rusty Taylor voiced the uh, baby for Below, which uh, Taylor is one of those voice actresses. Here's how much she shows up in everything. Uh, she uh, she will show up in the next movie we're going to discuss in four roles. Yes, she voiced four roles in uh, DuckTales the movie. Really? Uh, yeah. She was Huey, Dewey, Louie, and Webby. Uh, is it like that in the show, too? Yes, yeah, yeah. She was their voices. Oh. Now, n- now, in the new one, they've got four different voices for all four characters. Right, yeah. And they're awesome voices. Uh, we're both going to hold off on DuckTales because I'm going to have a lot to say. Um, yes. But, as I said, this movie is just, blah. But you're right, they have that stupid song they do, it's the, ooga, ooga, what the, 
Yeah, it's just, it only lasts for like maybe 10 seconds. Weird, huh? But it's like, what the fuck was that? I, it is what it is. Um, uh, there's also so much night. There is so much pop in this movie that uh, rubber stamps it as 1989. Yes. Because here's the thing that people need to understand. Late 80s music sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Late 80s music sucked. Every, when everybody thinks of 80s music, they're thinking of, you know, new wave and hair metal and awesome stuff. No, late 80s pop was ass. And yeah, you uh one of my favorite bits of about uh early 90s music is uh Donald Glover talks about uh how everybody um has this great nostalgia for early hip hop. People say the same stuff about rap music. People are just like, oh, rap music now oh, sucks. So bad. Rap music now sucks. No, back in the day, that was the good rap music. That was where the good rap music was at. No, it's not. Have you ever listened to rap back in the day? It's always some dude being like, well, I went to the hat store today and I bought myself a hat. <laughs> By the way, who the hell is Donald Glover to talk about rap? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Glover can talk about rap. Yeah. He can t he can talk as long as he wants to about rap. <laughs> that dude has major credibility on this subject. Yeah. Well, I mean seriously, you've got to you know okay, you talk about people that Glover is not one of those people of course that the studio was like you should try everything. Mm -hmm. He's just doing it cuz that's what he wants to do is he's constantly bored and wants to try everything. And the thing is, Glover has that cool thing going where when he tries something, he's good at it. He's like really, really, really good at it. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with him trying whatever he wants to try because he's good. But anyway, the music here is not on Donald Glover's level. And because it's G-rated, you know, it's this really bouncy, bubbly, upbeat, bubblegum, bum bum. And it's bad. It's so bad. We, by the way, we were mean enough to open this cast with the Jetsons rap, so. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's how this movie ends. Um, so as I said, th there is one thing I will say about this movie that doesn't quite bug me. I don't think the animation is that bad. I really don't. No. Does this look like a movie that should have played theaters? Yes. Yeah, it absolutely looks like it should have played theaters. It's nicely animated. I can tell that there was no consistency. I can tell that the animators were frustrated. The use of, but the use of early CGI in the animation is really cool. Uh, there's, you can spot what's CGI and what's not. You can tell from a mile away, and that's neat. It's interesting to see them just starting to play with this. They use digital coloring for the animation, and it looks, it looks really damn good. As I said, this definitely looks like a movie that should be in theaters. It's nicely animated. I, honestly, I, I was glad I watched it just to look at it. Because even as a cartoon, it's really well made. It's a good looking movie. Um, it actually looks better than a lot of the DC animated movies I've watched lately. Like this blew uh, the Judas Contract out of the water in terms of quality animation. Not a better film, but quality animation. So it does look good. I'm giving it that. It looks good. Yeah. But it's just not a good movie. As I was watching it, I realized why I don't think it's a very good movie. And it comes down to this. 
is it just me or is this really, really, really a dated movie? And I don't mean dated in terms of it's dated like it feels like it's 1990. I mean, this script really feels like 1960s. Yeah. This script feels like it was probably written in the 60s as a potential Jetsons movie. And then updated. And then updated. So many of the things, I would say maybe late 70s is when this movie might have been written. I'd wager that was probably when this script was written. I wouldn't be surprised. One of the key signs in it is there's a cameo by Rick Dees, the uh, <laughs> DJ. Oh. Yeah, the which the the guy who did Disco Duck, and he oh. was a nationwide known DJ out of Memphis. Oh my god. That's the kind of thing that this movie is leaning on. That's a name I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, he's in this movie in a quick animated cameo, and that's what I feel like this movie is. The 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 way that the movie leans on fake slang, it doesn't mm. sound like futuristic slang. It sounds like 60s attempts at slang. Fake slang is mm-hmm. probably it's it's one of the most annoying things I think. Even in things I like. Uh, when they use fake slang, it's like, ooh, don't, please. Do you know why Clueless worked? Yeah. In terms of its slang? Because it was actual slang? Because it was actual slang. Because Amy Heckerling did her damn research. And more to the point, she wrote such great dialogue that what wasn't actual slang became actual slang. <laughs> because she wrote fantastic dialogue for that movie. But here's the thing. This movie is stuck in a time warp. Ironically, it's so pseudo-futuristic, but it's stuck in a time warp. The characters act like they're from the 60s. They act so... The values... When you get right down to it, this is a leave-it-to-beaver situation. (laughs) It really is. You've got the uh, dad that's always working. You've got the mom that that doesn't do anything around the house but shop. You've got the son that's the little scrapper. He's the little adventurer, the little athlete. You've got the daughter who's boy crazy and has literally no other trait to mm-hmm. her. My God, this movie is backwards. Yeah. This is not a... This is this was dated in 1989. I actually did not think about all that, but you are completely right. Yeah, I, I know I am. <laughs> let's, let's compare Judy Jetson to another female character. For that she could have theoretically been in theaters with at the same time. Ariel. Yeah. Ariel is, first of all, everybody gets the message of that movie wrong. Ariel doesn't want to be human because of Eric. Ariel wants to be human because she wants to be human. She is obsessed with the chance to be human. She wanted it long before she met Eric. Yeah. Eric is something that she thinks would be nice to know. But Ariel isn't trying to give up her identity for a man. She's trying to give up part of herself so that she can be who she truly feels she is. Ariel is a strong character. She is a forceful character. She is a heroine. I may have been a little meaner to The Little Mermaid when we did our Disney Renaissance cast than I needed to. Because I've rethought that movie a lot over the years. That's a great movie. Judy Jetson, on the other hand, literally there's no personality to her. She is just boy crazy. This movie, this movie is okay. I know, I've just dogged it this whole time. But honestly, (laughs) if you really want my opinion on it, 
It's just okay. It's just okay because it wasn't made for me. And the thing is, I don't think it would play to kids today. No. I think it pl- it played to me when I was six. I didn't revisit again. I didn't revisit it again, honestly, until just a couple of weeks ago. Like, I, like I watched it. I would say after the age of seven or eight, I didn't revisit it again until just now. I certainly remembered it, but I didn't revisit it. Right. H- having gone back to it, it worked for me then. I don't think it would work for kids now. I think it's too simplistic. I think it's too unsophisticated. I think it's a lot of the technology in it looks dated, frankly. Where the hell are iPhones? <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, any glimpse of the future looks hopelessly dated now because nobody predicted the iPhone. Right. Without the smartphone, the future looks very dated. Um, the best is that I suppose if you throw this on for a kid, they might be entertained. But to me, it's dated. It's aged really badly. So mm, I guess if I was to put this on a star rating, two out of five, because the animation is really nice. And there are a couple of good laughs here and there. Mel Blanc doing Mr. Spacely has to get some laughs. Yeah. But we've discussed one movie. As I said, this movie, it just didn't hold up for me at all. I think the most exposure I've had with this movie in childhood was uh, I had the picture book based on it. Yeah, and I did too. I did too. So, I mean, just watching it did bring up those images. uh, But otherwise, eh. Yeah, that's kind of how I take it. It's eh. It's there. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not good. It's there. Yeah. Let's jump gears as massively as we can. Oh boy. Yeah. Tells the movie. Since you haven't seen it before, I want to hear your thoughts on this movie. Because you got to come to it as an adult. I did. Um, first of all, yeah, I, I revisited the cartoon recently. Uh, I do have fond memories of watching the cartoon, and of course that theme is legendary, uh, not just for cartoons, for anything. It's Mm -hmm. legendary. I had to revisit, I bought the volume one, and it was great. Holds up. So I had high hopes going in, especially since, uh, you gave your thumbs up on it, uh, but first of all, nice nod to Indiana Jones right off the bat. Like, Raiders mm. of the Lost Ark, it, it has the exact same beginning. It does. Yeah. And kudos to them for holding off on the theme song until the very end. I think that was a brilliant decision, because it because it let the movie have its own identity. Exactly. And because it let it go out on a moment of iconic, it felt earned when it showed up at the end. Yeah. It's, it's just like, okay, we don't need this to uh, have the poll. People are already here. Let's just start. The opening sequence is gorgeous. Like, they they did kind of ramp up the animation for the opening sequence, and the rest is, you know, it's it's movie tunes. It's it's their TV version. But that's not a bad mark, because the movie looks, the movie is epic. Yeah, this is a really epic movie. I was kind of shocked by how big in scope it really is. Yeah, like, every, it has very high stakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would describe the plot as exactly Aladdin meets uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is really funny because this was mm-hmm. two, two years before Aladdin came out. They were developing Aladdin at the same time. Let, let's let's 
of course they were developing it. Um, there, there was a little intermingling. I still think it's funny that the that uh, the plot is very similar with the create with a creative twist for the villain. Yeah. Yeah, that that was nice. That was a nice bit of mythology. Villain is voiced by uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd, who is gives it everything he's got. Which, given that it's Lloyd, not a small amount. I didn't recognize his voice uh, for the first like two minutes. He's really going full Judge Doom here. It's great. At last, after all these centuries, the app will be mine again. It took me that long, and then I'm just like, wait a minute. Is that Christopher Lloyd? Yeah. It's Christopher it, Lloyd. It, it oh. is. Nice. But, yeah, you're right. You nailed it that this movie is epic and high stakes. It's shorter than Jetson's The Movie. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like a full hour and a half. This really feels like a full movie. Um, I'm just going to cut to my opinion on this movie. This movie held up beautifully. For me, I'm really kind of shocked by how much this movie held up. But yeah, because it is this very high-stakes movie. There, it's it's more or less a constant chase scene, really. Kind of, yeah. There's there's a constant sense of a goal. There's constant goals. There's constant urgency. There's constant, if we don't do this, there's something that's really going to go wrong here. Mm-hmm. So it really, it's a big movie. It really is. For 75 minutes, it's a big movie. It's funny. I do think it's actually quite funny in places. It is funny. It's hilarious. Uh, Alan Young could always sell a line as Scrooge McDuck. He could always... At one point, there's like... Well, you gotta keep all this treasure, Uncle Scrooge. Oh, I won't keep it all, Louie. Most of these artifacts will go to museums. That doesn't sound like Uncle Scrooge. That way I can enjoy a hefty tax break. That does. That's that's one of those jokes. It's not funny to you as a kid. To as an adult, it's hysterical. Yeah, that got a hearty chuckle uh, from me. <laughs> this movie has some problems. I'm definitely I'm not gonna say it doesn't have problems, but it really is a very brisk movie. And you're right about the animation. There is a specific moment where the animation changes styles. When they enter the pyramid, the animation changes styles. Let's get that out of the way. As you said, it's still good looking animation. It's still really lush. It, it's still really nicely done. It's just not quite as special and different. And honestly, I don't think I would have wanted it to stay that way for the whole movie. Nah. I think that would have made it sit too far apart from the show. When they enter the pyramid, that's kind of when the movie starts to go back more towards a traditional DuckTales story. Mm-hmm. I will say that if that if the, the one big drawback of this movie is that we don't get a villain... We don't get in much of the recurring characters from DuckTales. Yeah. They don't show up. Um, the Beagle Boys aren't in this. Which is fine. <laughs> which is fine. It occurred to me today that Magicka Dispel could have easily been Murloc. I thought of that right after uh, watching it. It's like, oh, yeah, they did have their own uh, magical villain. And that would have been cool. I'm not, I'm not going to complain, though, because Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd, yeah. You know, I think a new villain for film is fitting. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I, I'm not bothered by that. And I, I was really surprised by how well this movie holds up. But I just, I really was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Like, how much I genuinely was invested in it. Yeah. And just, you know, this 
movie kind of highlights what an interesting character uh, Scrooge McDuck is. He is interesting because he's never because he has his problem. He's greedy, but he's never cured of it. He's never cured of it, and also he does have a heart. He does have a heart. He loves his nephews. That's just it. When this movie has its version of Scrooge's talk to, it or you know, it's when he's in the jail cell and he sees his family and he's like, "Look, I've got y'all. I can fight back. I can. I'm strong." And that's just it. That's who Scrooge McDuck is. He's driven by the need to do something. If he's put in a problem, he will find a solution because that's who he is. That's what he does fundamentally. Yeah. He's a strong person. Well, strong duck. Right. <laughs> he's clever. He's he's driven. Scrooge McDuck is a great character. George Jetson is a flat character. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I think it's telling that for uh, Alan Young's work was so good on this that to replace him, they had to go so far as to find the single greatest actor in uh, Scotland today to replace him. Yeah, for the new series. For the new series, which, by the way, I cannot wait for. I think it looks amazing. I think everything yeah. about it looks great. But for the love of God, David Tennant is Scrooge McDuck. Mm-hmm. Like, can we underline enough how awesome that is that David Tennant is Scrooge McDuck? It is amazing. That is just, that is the greatest casting. I, I cannot wait. And having seen the trailers, Tennant is obviously going to kill in the part. I mean, again, he, he's David Tennant. I expect him to kill in it. He's never not awesome. He's one of those guys. I, I'm a huge Tennant fan. Oddly enough, I'm a huge Tennant fan, and I'm not a Doctor Who fan. Hmm. I might be one of the few people to say that. You know him from other things, too. Uh, other yeah, TV Broad shows. Church. Yeah, Broadchurch, um, Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, oh, he's God. so good. He's so good. He's terrifying. A, he's t- Oh, he's terrifying. You know what makes him so scary on that? Is that he's so handsome and charming that you actually believe why people – you understand why people fall under his sway. Mm-hmm. They knew that they couldn't convey that with you know any other way. The only way to do it is you have to get a man who's pure raw charisma. But anyway, getting back to this movie, as I said, I'm genuinely surprised by how much I like this movie. Does it have its problems? Yes, it does. It's a formulaic plot. You've seen this plot before. It's the magic lamp plot. Big deal. We've seen this plot before. It plays out exactly as you would expect. Ultimately, nothing gained, nothing lost. With Rip Taylor as the genie. With Rip Taylor as the genie, which was great. And holy shit, we've got to talk about Dijon. Jesus Christ, Disney. It's been yeah. theorized Dijon is the reason this movie is, has had limited circulation over the years. You didn't steal it! Too many people, Murloc! Only one Dijon! But, but look what I did steal! Several billfolds, this dandy pocket watch, floss, and date nut bar, and two tickets to the Feta Cheese Festival. Yeah, I thought of that in, like throughout. It's like, oh my god, this is, is it? This is horribly dated. This is horribly dated. <laughs> it is a mark of how good this movie is that I can still recommend it with him in it. Let's state the obvious: the character was obviously not played by an actual Arab. Of course not. It's it's played by a horrible cartoon. Uh, well, yeah. Of... I think, I don't know where the actor's from. Not Arab. 
Good God, this character is offensive. Disney, what the hell? You know, and it occurs to me that you know what they could have done, what they could do if they were willing to spend the money? Go in and re-record his dialogue. Yeah. Edit the film and re-record his dialogue. Digitally rework the role and change the character. If ever a time for a phantom edit, this is it. Fix this movie because he is a gaping problem. As I said, the movie has had very limited circulation. It had a video release back in 1991, and then it didn't go to DVD. It went to DVD in a collect like you could only get it through Disney's Movie Club for a few years, like in the mid 2000s, and then finally, I think about 2013, 2014, it went to DVD wide release. But you could originally only get it at Walmart, and then it went nationwide. Right. It really is theorized Dijon is the reason, and I believe it. Good God. I honestly think without Dijon in this movie, I could give this movie a 9 out of 10. Yeah. As it is, he, he keeps it at an 8. And probably a 7.5 would have been more accurate, but I've got to put some nostalgia in there. Right. <laughs> that said, why do I think this movie works and Jetsons the movie doesn't? Well, I'm going to answer that with one really simple fact. DuckTales was a much better show than Jetsons. Yes. I there, agree with that. There. You, you want me to get that out of the way? DuckTales was a much better show than D- Jetsons. DuckTales hasn't... DuckTales has aged beautifully. I have the same DVD set you have. I still think the show is great. Which, by the way, uh, uh, one of my friends is uh, introducing me to Kingdom Hearts. And uh, we've played through... The last few months we've played through the first one. Now we're on the second. Scrooge McDuck shows up in Kingdom Hearts 2. Nice, nice. And he's... Yeah, he, he's running a uh, an ice cream stand. And I believe that was still Alan Young doing it, too. That's yes. the best part. Yeah. yeah they actually Young, got... Young did it all the way up until DuckTales Remastered, and then he died. But Young stayed with it to the very end. He was 93 when he did DuckTales Remastered. That's a legend. Oh, God, yeah. I was... I was DuckTales Remastered makes me so happy. Oh, let's talk briefly about DuckTales Remastered while yes. we're on. If you don't have it, dear God, get it. If you don't have it, dear God, get it yesterday. Get it yesterday. It is the same game, but with better graphics. That's all it is. It's the same game and a little bit of different gameplay, but but expanded gameplay. Better graphics and uh, voiceovers by the original cast. Voiceovers by the original cast. Soundtrack sounds great. They took the original score and remastered it into this beautiful... Or you, you can play it with the original score or with a remastered version Oh my god, get DuckTales Remastered now. It's great. It's by WayForward, the same company that does the uh, the Shantae games. Uh, yeah. They, they're beautiful looking animated it's, games. It's, this is, you must get this. Uh, if you're a DuckTales fan, you need to have it already. I've got it. It's it's great. I have it on PC and phone. I have it on phone, and it's just fantastic. I love the game. So, as I said... I also want to point out there's another credit that I have to point out on this movie. I haven't noted anything about the script. The script is by Alan Burnett. Here's a quick list of Alan Burnett's credits that might illustrate why this movie has aged better. Burnett was one of the writers on Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Uh I literally don't know that I have to put any other credits that he did, but he wrote – he did extensive work for the DC uh, animated universe – he wrote several of their direct-to-video movies. He's written, I think he he actually wrote uh, Justice League versus Teen Titans. Was him actually? 
Like that's how much he's like Burnett is still at it. He's still hardcore working. Mm-hmm. He is the real deal. Burnett is Burnett is one of the greats of animated movies uh, in terms of screenwriting. He's one of the greats. He also wrote, unfortunately, one of the worst uh, Green Lantern First Flight. But then again, everybody else seems to love it, and I don't. So, you know, go figure. Go figure. I'm a, I'm the only one that doesn't like that one. That's from Nathan Fillion, right? No, no, it was uh, it was actually uh, what's what's his name? Uh, Christopher Maloney played Hal Jordan. Oh, okay. Which is great casting. Let me tell you, he's amazing in it. He's great. I just didn't like the movie. Oh, and by the way, I have to note too, the the DVD poster is lame. For the love of God, go look at the theatrical poster. Yeah, the theatrical poster is wonderful. Do you know who did the theatrical poster? Who? That's Drew Struzan doing it. Oh, you're kidding me. See, the fact that you knew that name immediately says it all, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, legend. that's the great Drew Struzan drawing it. Which, God, if if they're going to do a an homage to Raiders of the Lost Ark... <laughs> Get the guy! Did that? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the guy who... Just a... Oh my God, the absolute best. The greatest poster artist we ever had. Um, no question about it. Uh, so yeah, Drew Struzan drew the poster. God damn it, I love this movie so much. I really do. As I said, I think the difference between Jetsons and DuckTales is, A, so much better source material, and one has just aged better. But I really think it comes down to this. I will watch DuckTales again as an adult. Because it's fun. I, I was really happy with watching it. I think it's aged great. This Jetsons just hasn't. And that's rough. But... I don't know. As I said, this is an interesting exercise in nostalgia, and I'm glad I got to do it. I have way more nostalgia for uh, DuckTales than I do with uh, Jetsons, so I'm happy that this is the one that held up. Yeah, I am. I, I, I think that's kind of something that I have to say, is that if one of these movies was, was not going to hold up, I'm glad it was the one that I don't have as much investment in. I'm glad I'm glad that, that DuckTales has held up. I, I really am. I... I'm glad that you could come to it as an adult and enjoy it, too. Um, so next up, we're not doing a nostalgic cast. Nostalgia is not on the menu because we've got a Patreon-requested episode coming. Yes. And we're actually having the patron on, right? Yes, yes, we are having the patron on. Paul and Alina will be joining us on... And we're going to discuss... 40th anniversary year, y'all. We're going to be discussing Rogue One. Yes. We're going, more Star Wars is coming. You know what? I'm going to wager, by the way, that that's not a bad idea for our hits. We're doing a full episode on Rogue One. Yes, we know you've probably already figured out what we think of it. We're going to go in full depth on this movie. And man, is there so much to go in depth on. I want to say to everybody, we're really enjoying this road to 100. We've got some really great movies that are coming up. I'm going to just give everybody a quick preview of what's ahead in the road to 100. We're, we are going to have a filmmaker cast coming. Let's see. We've got, we're going to be covering The Life Aquatic. Yes. Oh, God, yes. We're going to be covering Clueless. And then we've got Film 100. Yeah, we've got gold coming. Film 100, I will say without exaggeration, is my favorite movie that we will have ever covered on this cast. Without question. That's all I'm going to say. But we wanted to thank our patrons for helping us on this path. Um, let's see. Sheila, 
Daisy, Paul, Barack, Sean from No Totally, Nathan, Bridget. Am I leaving anybody else? I might have I might have gotten a few patrons that have dropped off, but you know what? Thanks thanks to them anyway because they've helped us. Yeah. You can find us at thefilmroom.org. We're now on Google Play. Yeah, we've we forgot to mention that, but yeah, we are now on Google Play. That was on the recommendation of James Champion. We are we thank him so much for putting us there. Yeah, thank you. Guys, we've got a lot to do. We got a lot ahead, so till next time. Later, y'all. Life is like a hurricane in up the ore. Got it. The ore makes the sprockets. The ore makes the sprockets. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Pack the sprockets in the packets. Shack the packets into brackets. For the lockers. For the lockers. Lock the sprocket locker key in the pocket of your jacket. Got the sprocket locker key in my outer jacket pocket. Are you ready? I am ready. Take the Ford ore sprocket packets from the packet packets and we rock it while we're rapping. Yes, we rock it while we're rapping and we're rocking and we're rolling and we rock it to the sprockets to space league.